Hey, I welcome you today. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors at Heart of Life, and we truly are grateful that you would choose to join with us today as we celebrate. Well, it feels like we have arrived at, again, a critical moment in this COVID battle. Many businesses are making plans and taking steps to reopen. Some, that will be tomorrow. Uh, For many, it will be over the next couple of weeks. And what that means is that for some, they're excited. For others, they are fearful. For some, it brings relief. And for others, it brings anxiety. And so I know the question is, Jeff, what, what are we going to do? What's, what's heart of life going to do? And I promise you that by the time we are finished today, we, we want to share those next steps of what we believe we as a church should do. And it may not be what every church chooses to do. And so the question is, why is it that way? I mean, why do people see this thing so differently? And I, I believe the answer to that question is, is actually something that um, Dr. Tony actually warned me about early on. And in fact, he was even willing to produce a, a video for us to help to explain it. it it's, it's a little something called confirmation bias. And it simply means that we each have this tendency to look for, to interpret, to recall information in a way that affirms our preconceived ideas. I think I can explain this to you this way. Sometime over the last week or so, my wife and I found ourselves watching the Super Bowl. Did you know that the Chiefs are Super Bowl champions? Just in case you don't know that. We're watching it again. That that seems like it was so long ago. And the version we were watching was one of the mic'd up versions, which means there are players who are wearing microphones and you can hear their comments and their interaction. And one of the most interesting moments was, was when a referee would make a big call. Maybe it was an interference penalty or it was, hey, did he actually get the ball over the goal line, right, for a touchdown? And while the debate is happening and then the, 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 the call is made, it's, it's a touchdown and you could see the San Francisco players going, going what? I mean, they just can't believe that they called it that way. And, and, and Jen and I are screaming at the, at the screen, right? It's like, well, why can't you see that, right? Anybody could see that. You're just biased. We see and we hear what fits our expectations. We pay attention to information that supports what we tend to already believe. And I'm saying with COVID, confirmation bias affects how each one of us tends to set and maintain our boundaries or don't. Well, here's where I want to take that today. Maybe there are some of you who would be thinking confirmation bias Jeff, I actually think that's the reason that you church people believe what you believe about God. You just see what you want to see. 
I hear you. Maybe you've heard of the story about the, the priest and the atheist who find themselves sitting in a bar in remote Alaska. They are very old friends, but they have very different views about the existence of God. The atheist says to his friend, the priest, he says, look, it's not like I haven't given God a chance. I mean, I've even tried this prayer thing and it didn't work. And the priest looks back across the table and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you, you mean you actually tried this prayer thing? When in the world did that happen? And the atheist responded. He said, well, it happened honestly just last month. There was this evening that I got caught away from the camp. I got lost in this blizzard. It was, it was 20 degrees below zero. I found myself falling to my knees in the snow. And I said, God, if there is even a God, I'm lost and I'm going to die if you don't help me. The priest hears him and and he looks across the table and says, well, then obviously you believe now, right? Because here you are. And the atheist said, no, that's not how it happened at all. Two Eskimos came wandering by and they showed me the way back to camp. Each who sees it differently. Today, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Isaiah in the Bible. It's in chapter 25, and I'm going to show you several of those verses in a few minutes, but I just want to start with the first phrase. It says in verse 1, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. Now, that's why we have come here today that that's that's why we sing today that's why we will teach today we have come to praise this God that we believe he is worthy of all our praise and I'm saying I I understand where you you might look in on this and and you would say look that is just foolishness Right? That's just, that's just how you have been taught to cope with the craziness of this world. Maybe you would say you, you just believe because you're making the evidence line up with what you already think it should be. But I want to show you one little phrase in this verse that has changed all of that. For me. Lord, you are my God. You are my God. And I want you to know that that's what I have found to be different about this God that we have come to worship today that is different than all the others who claim to be God. He is personal. So I'm just posing the question to you. What if even though you can't see him physically, what if 
he's real. What if he's personal? What if he actually speaks to you? What if belief is more than just gathering information about him? What what if belief is more than just acting right? What, What if belief is more than a coping mechanism for dealing with this world? What if belief is about real connection with him? What if there really is supernatural power at work? So it's a simple dare. I dare you to ask him if he's real. Even as we walk through these moments together today, I dare you to ask him if he's real. If he is, then it'll be worth you feeling silly for a few moments to ask the question, and if he is, and if he speaks, then you will see how praise becomes the only response to a God who loves personally. God, thanks for what you're going to do on this day. Thank you for being a God who's big enough, God, to step into each one of the households, the vehicles, wherever we are today. God, you step personally into those situations and you are the God who speaks. Today, we thank you for the chance to praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Isaiah chapter 25, I am excited to share this text with you this morning because it's a message of hope. But here's how he frames it. It is a vision of the future that is rooted in the past with a purpose and a promise for where we are right now. So let's take a look. Here's how it reads. Verse 1, Isaiah chapter 25 says, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. I love that. He goes, look, God, we're praising you because we know you have done wonderful things. But but those wonderful things are not things that you just thought up on the fly in response to the situations that are going on around us. No, you did those wonderful things planned long ago. And they are planned in perfect faithfulness. See, I I think sometimes those of us even who who believe uh, right in a God who knows, we have this imagery that God's foreknowledge is the answer to why he knows the future. You say, well, yeah. I'm saying there's a big word called God's uh, omniscience. It means that he knows all things. And we sometimes have this picture that God's omniscience is the key that unlocks him knowing the future. And I'm saying that's not really the whole picture. The picture is 
God knows the future because God plans the future. He knows because he planned. And the instruction is he he planned long ago. He doesn't just know what the future holds. He makes it. that's That's what Isaiah says we praise him for. God doesn't just know the plans for you. He made the plans for you. And scripture tells us that many are the plans of a man's heart. But it is the Lord's plans. It is his purpose that always stands. It is perfect faithfulness. Let me put it to you this way. Let's say you're going through a circumstance in your life, some struggle, some fight, and it is as if at the last second, right, last second God releases the shot, he makes it, and you see victory. I assure you, that was not because God's lucky. It's because a long time ago, he planned to win just that way. Now, oh my, if that is true, then can you recognize a peace that comes over our heart when we start to settle and to trust in the purposes of God, that the plans of God, perfect faithfulness set long ago, he doesn't just know, he plans. Let's keep reading. Verse two, you have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. Now let's just look at this for a second. I think the city, it's like, what, what is the city here? I, I think the city represents just where, where, where evil is at work. Which, which we could actually say, or that would mean every large city, every tiny village, right? There, there is evil at work. The identity of the city is not necessarily the key. This verse, Isaiah is praising God because God is standing against that evil. God is pushing back against that evil. And because God demonstrates his power to do so, People who had considered themselves strong. People who would say, I don't need God because I got this under control. I've got things together. I am a strong person. People like that will turn and they will honor God. In fact, it says cities of ruthless nations, right? cities of ruthless nations, they will turn and they will fear him. The picture is no matter how bad they may appear to be, there will be some whose hearts will be turned and they will worship God. Let's keep going. Verse four. You have been a refuge for the poor, God. A refuge for the needy in their distress. A shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall. 
and the heat of the desert. You, you, you silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud so the song of the ruthless is stilled. What, what is he saying? He, he's saying God is our refuge. God is our protector. That, that is a message throughout the Old Testament. It is the simple truth that God provides protection for those who are often unable to protect even themselves. And he uses some imagery here of the weather. Now, for us, many of us in our day, when it comes to the weather, there are really just certain moments that we are genuinely concerned about the weather, right? We are concerned about the weather when the tornadoes are starting to whirl around us. Then we become concerned, right? You may be concerned when the hurricane begins to, to push us ashore. You, you may be concerned when, when the ground begins to, to shake with, with, the, with the earthquake. In those moments, then we realize how subject we are to the weather. Maybe for, for some in, in our culture, extreme heat or extreme cold, we're only worried about that when the power actually goes out so that our, that our heaters or air conditioners do not work. But there are some people in our culture who are still subject to everything about the weather, the homeless or those who can't afford out of poverty to turn on an air conditioner or a heater? Or how about the third world nations across our globe that represent literally billions of people where when a heavy rain comes, it has the potential to wash away their livelihood. When a heat wave comes, Right? Just a routine heat wave. It has the, the potential to kill the vulnerable among them. The people to whom Isaiah is writing, they appreciate the significance of life-giving shelter and shade. And so that's the picture he draws. The, the ruthless. He says, the ruthless among you, they are like a storm that drives against the wall. All right? It's almost this picture of you are, you are pinned against the wall and the storm is just, just, just pushing in on you. There's nowhere for you to go and you feel the full force of it. He says the, the uproar of, of your enemies is like the heat of the desert. It's just oppressive. So the rainstorm and the heat, that they are like metaphors of, of the evil that, that comes against you. But what he says is it's God who sends the clouds to provide relief, life-giving shade from the heat, and it's God who silences the ruthless. He protects. He protects. But this is about to get better. Verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Here's the message. Right now, the storms push. The heat is oppressive. But there is coming a day when God is going to throw a party. 
And, and when he throws that party, the, the, the language of, of this verse is all peoples. All peoples. Now, in the Old Testament story, the first part of your Bible, you are getting this story of how God is using his nation, Israel. How God is using them to unfold his purposes that were laid out long ago. Through them, a Messiah is going to come, the one who will deliver us from sin, the one who would pay the price to free us that we could be connected to this God who is personal. But all throughout that story, it's like there are breaks in the clouds where the sun shines through on a a different person, not of Israel, a a different race, not of Israel. There are moments where the the sun begins to shine through and, and, and the signs are given that this is bigger than just for the nation of Israel. And you get all the way to the end of your Bible and sure enough, Uh, The writer in the Revelation declares at a place there, it says, Jesus, with your blood, you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, that's not what we call universalism. That doesn't mean that in the end, when God throws the party, the whole world is going to be in on that. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is when God throws that party, there will be present at that party people from every people, every language, every, every nation, every tribe. They will be those who have been bought By the blood of Jesus that was shed for our sins. Isaiah says that day's coming. That's our future. When the Lord Almighty, he is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Sometimes we sing about him as the God of angel armies. He's throwing a party. And at this party, there's some good food. There's some good food. There is a wordplay that's going on between the the aged wine and the, and the good meat that it describes, the word marrow is, is attached to that. There is a word play in the Hebrew where it rhymes. It rhymes. Uh, let's say that you were going to enjoy a really, really nice meal. Uh, let's say uh, today I'm serving you this meal and we're going to give you some Chateaubriand and some king crab legs. That'll do. Well, if we wanted to do a little play on words, as fine as that is, we we would call it a a surf and turf. It's it's something that rhymes. It's it's a way to connect. That's exactly the kind of language that that Isaiah is using here when he talks about what the the food and, and 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 the drink. Now, that type of food and that type of drink Typically in Isaiah's day, that is only enjoyed on special occasions uh, like a a wedding banquet. And and so the host, they would spend as freely as they possibly could. I mean, seriously, they, they would do everything they could to provide their guests with an abundant quantity of food and wine. But for almost all of them, the cost is still so much that they had to devise ways to make it stretch. So you remember when you read the gospel of John and you get the first miracle that Jesus performs, he turns water into wine at a wedding. 
But the response, right, the, the response to the bridegroom from the chief steward, he doesn't, he doesn't know where this wine has come from. And the statement he makes is usually when you have a banquet like this, you bring out the best of the best stuff first, right? You bring out the best wine first. And then after everybody's enjoyed it a little while, then you bring out the not so good stuff, but they don't care so much because they've been around long enough. And he said, but you, you brought the best last. And it's just this imagery of a day that is coming for us when the king of the angel armies throws a party and what he brings to that party is never going to become old. It is going to become more joyful. It is going to become better each day, better than any of the greatest parties that you could ever throw in this life. But that's not all. Verse 7. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. Like, what is that? He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. I love that. Isaiah's like, God said it. Man, this is, this is the clincher. God has spoken. And he's the God we know that when he opens his mouth and speaks, universes come into existence. When he says, let there be, it, it comes into being. When, when our God speaks of promises, they happen. Well, what is the promise Well, God answers it clearly. What is the shroud? What is the sheet that he says covers all? It says he will swallow up death forever. In the New Testament, Paul echoes that same chorus to the the Corinthians. He says death has been swallowed up in victory. Because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did for us, death, it is swallowed up in victory. But he also says that he will wipe away the tears. That's so cool to me. Now, part of those tears obviously would be connected to the fact that there is no death anymore, right? Death, death is done, and a part of why we often shed tears is, is because of, of losing someone we love. But we know that's not the only time that tears are shed, right? T- tears flow when there is illness, when there is financial problems, when, when there are natural disasters, when, when marriages have gone wrong, when children have gone wrong, the tears flow But Isaiah says the day is coming when our God throws a party and on that day, no more tears. Some of you are like, I've heard this before. Like I've read this in another part of the Bible. Yeah, it it is exactly what is echoed when we are given that glimpse at the end of the Revelation, the very last book of the Bible where it says in Revelation chapter 21 verse 4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. All right, you ready for this? The God I know. My God. 
is powerful enough to crush death. And he's tender enough to wipe tears. That's him. He holds such power that he crushes death. But he brings such tenderness that he wipes the tears from our eyes. So here's the big point that, I, that I'm bringing you to today. This is, this is what I want you to see out of these most remarkable eight verses in Isaiah chapter 25. If, if you and I are anchored in the past... We are anchored in the past by the perfect faithfulness of God, the God who makes plans long ago. There is no luck with him, right? There's just no happenstance. He is the God. We are anchored in his planning of long ago. And we are anchored in the future. Uh, the promise of a final home that, that we call heaven, no more death, no more tears. If we are anchored in the past by a God whose plans don't fail, and we are anchored in the future by a final home that will be perfect forever, then in the middle, like right where we live now, why would we ever consider doing anything else except leveraging all of our life for the sake of the gospel? The good news of Jesus who died for our sins was buried and on the third day arose a gospel that holds such power that even ruthless people will turn and honor God. That is a statement I have not been able to shake this week. I mean, come on, when you think ruthless, you think about cities, right, that, that are so cold to God. They, they are so hostile to God, so hard, so angry, so resistant to God. But come on, we, we've been guilty of, of perceiving those things in our own lives, right? We say, I, I got some friends, but some of those friends, they are just cold to God, right? They don't care anything about God, right? Yeah, Jeff, I've got neighbors, uh, but, but honestly, they, they just don't seem to care anything about who God is. In, in fact, I, I got family, and my family, they, they just, they, they push back when it comes to God. My message is, Isaiah's message is, it has always been the case that people left to themselves, we do not care about God. We do not pursue a message of me being humbled and him being exalted, that is not what we run toward. But when, when God's spirit arrives on the scene with you through the gospel, then even ruthless cities will turn. So the one who makes fun of those who follow Jesus the one who thinks he doesn't need God because he's in control, not God. The one who rejects God because God has not delivered what he wanted when he wanted it. You say they're not interested. But what Isaiah reminds us is, but for some of them, 
for some of them, when the Holy Spirit arrives with you through the good news of Jesus, some, their hearts will be awakened and he will raise those hearts from the dead and they will praise him. Here's the question. So how have you done with that mission over this last month? Okay, you got anchored in the past by the promises of God, plans. You're anchored in the future with a home of heaven, promise, not gonna move. And here you are in the middle with this mission of declaring the, the greatness of our God. How did you do with that mission this last month? And you'd say, Man, that's kind of a crazy question to ask this last month. I mean, I mean, unless you've been under a rock, you know that this last month is not like most months. I mean, the, the month of April, you, you talk about one of the craziest months of our life, Jeff. That's not exactly a great month to be able to evaluate that kind of question of me being on mission because our circumstances have been wrecked. And here's... A secret that's not supposed to be a secret. The mission, the mission of God is never wrecked when you have a sovereign God. It's just another part of the plan. For many of you, your plans were wrecked in April because that's not what you thought it would go like. But God's plans are not wrecked. And therefore, the mission of his people is not wrecked. And I get it. We, we, we struggle to go, well, how, how, can, how can that be involved in the plans of God? And we say it. We say we know that his ways are higher than ours. And we say that his thoughts are higher than ours. We say all that, but we still evaluate from a very human perspective. And we just struggle to understand what in the world God might be doing in all those situations. And the truth is we, we really have no idea what it means to be the sovereign God of the universe. Oh, but what happens when you begin to trust in the anchor of a past, the God who plans, and the anchor of a future, a heaven that's home. When you do that, you start to look like some of the people that we read about in the New Testament. They were put in prison for following Jesus. And when that happened, they preached the good news of Jesus to the jailer. How does that happen? Because they got it. They got it. We got a God who's in charge, a God who plans. We got a, a God who, who says heaven is my home. So in my absolute worst case scenario, it's actually the best case scenario that I'm ever going to know in my life. And here I am in the middle. And okay, it's Wednesday, and I thought I was on my way to the grocery store, but I'm actually finding myself in prison simply for following Jesus. But the news is the mission is not wrecked. This is where I am, and there's a jailer. He needs to know this good news of Jesus. I, if we really back up and we read about people like the Apostle Paul, 
right? I challenge you to read his story. There's 13 letters for you to read that he wrote. And you tell me if you believe whether or not it is real between him and God. It says in one place that Paul received 39 lashes five different times in his life. Now, come on, in that day, it was, it was this punishment just short of death where it was 40 minus one. They would beat a person, they would, a whip that, that would bring down across their, their back 39 times. Paul says he went through that five different times. I wonder what his back looked like. says three times he was beaten with rods. There were times that people picked up rocks, threw them at him, trying to kill him. And when Paul finds himself in prison, he sings and he tells the jailer about Jesus. There are moments when Paul on occasion is talking about some of the others who are following Jesus with him. And he says, the truth is you followed Jesus and when you chose to follow Jesus, your trials, they increased. But your poverty didn't go away. But the result is, he said, you are a people of joy. That's why I don't get the whole prosperity gospel that is preached and people tend to buy into this, this prosperity gospel that says, if you believe on Jesus, then your trials will be less and your poverty will go away so that you can have joy. That's not the real gospel. The real gospel is if you believe on this Jesus who died for your sin and rose again, he is everything, there is joy in him. But when you believe, here's what you need to know, most likely if you radically follow him, your trials are gonna increase and your poverty probably won't go away, but you know what? He is your joy and you will know joy. This season... Like this season is in the plans. It's in his plans. And therefore, it is time for you, the follower of God, to speak the hope of which you know. I know that it is hard for many of you as students, to your, your fellow students, what everybody's talking about is what you don't get to experience this year. Everybody's even wondering, will there be a graduation and will there be a prom and will we be able to experience all that? And don't get me wrong, I'm hoping. I, I am so hoping that you get to experience those things. But here's what I'm saying. If you are a Jesus follower in the middle of everybody talking about what they've missed out on, this is the season for you to speak of the hope of the one who has given you purpose and the one who modeled for you in times like these, the question you ask is how do I love others? It's time for you to speak of hope. And I'm saying that some of those friends that you think might be so cold, you might be surprised what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up in their life with you through the gospel and hearts are changed.
Maybe it's your family. You got family members who are saying they don't have enough. And I'm saying it's time for you to open your mouth and declare you know the one who is always enough. Maybe it's the business people around you who are wrestling with what this costs them. And it's time for you to speak of the one who is worthy of all costs to follow him. What, whatever it takes because he paid all costs for you. In the moment of a, of a season where people are afraid of, of dying. They're, they're afraid of dying. You talk about why you're not, you know you can. It's why you make smart decisions. It's why you try to act in wisdom, but you're not afraid. Why? Because you know the God whose plan anchored in the past is unchanging. Home for you, heaven, anchored in the future, it is unchanging. And therefore, in this season, it's time to shine and not whine because the mission of God is never wrecked. So my question from Isaiah 25, verse 1, can you say that? Lord, you are my God. Not just the God you know some information about. Not just the God where he's given you some rules and you're trying to act right. Not just the God that you use as a coping mechanism in the craziness of this world, but, but my God, he is the God who is with me. He is the God who, who really does speak. And oh, when I understand that my life right now, this season, no matter what the consequences are, no matter what the circumstances are, I am anchored in he, the God, whose plans set long ago will not be shaken. And he, the God, whose plan involves for me a home where there is no more death and no more tears than right here in the middle. I want to leverage my life for that great God. My great God. I, I want you to take in this song. I'm asking you to stick around. I, I want you to hear this. Uh, a song of his mercy. We praise him because his mercy is more. Stronger than the darkness. And every day is new. He's, he's here. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy, it is more. In just a minute, I'll be back, and I'm just going to, in a couple of minutes, share here's what I think our next steps will be. But more importantly, there is a God right now who desires to be with you. And so as you take this in, I want you to realize he's there. You may need to ask him if he's real. 
may need to turn from sin. You may need to ask him to help you to trust. You've been given a mission and you've been given a promise. Live it. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word today. I thank you for anchors of hope, the past and the future. God, I thank you that those are set and they are certain and that means that right here in the middle, right here where we live right now, it feels so uncertain, it feels shaky. God, may we be reminded today, our mission has not changed just because the circumstances seem crazy. God, in this season right now, you have intended that we have some family, we have some friends, we have some neighbors, that even though they seem cold to you, <laughs> your mercy is more. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask you to give us eyes that can see. Before we close, just for a moment, I want to just visit a little bit on what are our next steps for Heart of Life. Uh, I shared with you last week that even when the moment comes that, that it feels like we could gather, that it doesn't necessarily mean that the absolute best thing for us to do is to put everybody back in a room. Uh, some of us right now are abiding by different guidelines. For some, it's state guidelines. Uh, other parts of, uh, of, of our church are, are more of city guidelines. And so it, even now, it's, it's still varied. And the last thing we want to do is come back together and put all our kids in a room when, when schools are still not out or still not meeting because of safety. We, we don't want to put our, our older adults in danger. So here's, here's what I want to strongly recommend. For some of you, I want you to imagine that you are at the place of what we're going to call the red light. Uh, a, a red light is, is you stop and you stay stopped. And what I mean by that is maybe it is, it is a high risk situation for you. Some of you, you have not even been seeing other family members. You, you really have isolated you, you watch this on your own at home. Uh, some of you are a part of video uh, meetings with maybe life teams during the week. I, we want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. We want to affirm how wise it is for these next weeks to continue to stay safe, whether it's because of age, whether it's because of pre-existing health conditions, you continue to be wise and don't move. Continue to watch online, continue to gather with your group online. But we realize that there are some folks who maybe have moved to a yellow light. And that means that you're still concerned about what's going on, but you are ready to progress to maybe some face-to-face some -face encounters. And so we would like to suggest that maybe what that could look like in a safe way, because you still want to practice the distancing, that, that maybe that means that um, you could have someone with you to watch 
For example, what, what's going on like this morning, you didn't have to watch it alone, but maybe a, another family or, or maybe it's even your life group that begins to do that or, or maybe your life team meets during the week. But we would encourage you to consider doing that outside. Maybe it's a, a patio, just an open area where you can distance and being outside. It, it, it's better than, than everybody being cooped up in a room, right, where it's a little harder to, to keep your distance. But, but maybe you could do that in an outside setting, and yet you're still able to take another step of being able to actually physically see some people. And then we realize that there are some of you who uh, you would be represented by the the green light that um, you, you are comfortable where things are and you are ready to gather with people. And maybe that means that you really can have people in your home to do that. Maybe that means that your entire life team, or maybe it means that some neighbors around you, uh, other folks that live near you, maybe you could start to meet at your home uh, in, in a sense, it, it becomes like a mini church where you are. Again, if you do that, please continue to observe the social distancing guidelines. Please. We have fought too long in this thing. We, we need to keep following through. You don't need to assume that just because this is where you are and you don't mind shaking hands with people or doing not everybody's there, I promise you. Please don't take those steps. You do what is best for one another. We're encouraging you that red, yellow, green, wherever you are, you don't move to those next steps until everybody is comfortable moving to those next steps. Let's love one another. We are excited that it feels like there are some steps being taken back that direction. But come on, we want to stay wise in what God has given us. We want to do this the right way that continues to communicate love. But at the same time, maybe we can start to provide some of those fellowship connection components that we all are missing like crazy right now. So we'll do a little more of this communicating throughout the week, but hopefully it gives you an image. Red, yellow, green. In all of it, it doesn't keep you from being on mission this week. Be safe, but stay dangerous for the kingdom of God. I love you, and we'll talk soon. God bless.